Now, we've come here primarily to worship the Lord, so let's do that. Let's still our hearts and bow in God's presence. And we really have been thinking about this. We really do need uh, the Lord's presence amongst us. And it's his presence that makes the feast and it makes it all the more different and it makes it all the more worthwhile. So let's trust the Lord for his presence today and let's just look to him. Father, thank you for bringing us here this this morning. Thank you for your mercies which are new every morning. And Lord, we can truly say, great is your faithfulness. Lord, we've seen uh, just so much in this past year. And yet, Lord, we thank you that we have also seen the hand of God. And Lord, we would long, uh, we would long today that we would know and experience the hand of God in this gathering. Grant, Lord, that we may indeed experience your presence. Grant, Lord, that we may indeed be liberated in the spirit, that the anointing of God may come upon us, O God, that your spirit will be one of our number. Lord, as you came amongst us on Thursday, Lord, we would long again that you come amongst us here this morning. Lord, it's it's your presence makes the feast. In your presence there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's your presence, Lord, will take away the boredom. It's your presence that will take away the normalness. It's your presence, Lord, that makes an excitement amongst the people of God. Lord, we don't want fleshly excitement. We don't want it something mustered up. We're not trying to create an atmosphere. Lord, we're asking for God to come down. We're ask- well, Lord, we desperately need God to come down. Lord, we see the dullness and the darkness outside. And Lord, that's just a picture of the darkness that's permeating in, the, in society. But, oh God, we long for the light of the, shine of, of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the Son of Righteousness to rise with healing in his wings. Lord, we long for that Spirit of God to fall amongst us. And we pray that, Lord, we give you permission today, Lord. We give you permission. We invite you to be one of our number. We ask you, O oh God, to liberate us in the Spirit. Anoint us, Lord, with, with the holy oil of, 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 of the Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing, we pray. Bring, Lord, bring something of the excitement of heaven. Lord, amongst us we pray. And grant, O oh God, that when we leave this place, we will say it was really good to be here, for God met with us. Father, we, we have a, a, a deep desire just to meet with you today. Lord, And nothing else is going to satisfy, and nothing else is going to meet the need. So we ask you, Lord, just be one of our number, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is good, a good old song, but it's a good song, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Our great Redeemer's praise. Now, I like this song with a good spring in her step. So just think you're out on a wee bit of a trot, all right? Don't think that you're at a, at a funeral, all right? We're on a wee bit of, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. Thank you, and we'll stand and sing together.
while we've been entreating the Lord as we've been singing that song for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise, we will see later on in the message today uh, that uh, only uh, when you understand the full extent of his deliverance and his salvation will you be able to express fully uh, and sing with enthusiasm our great Redeemer's praise. But we're going to sing this next song, which is What a Beautiful Name It Is.
shepherds, Mary even and Joseph, when they're looking into that little manger in Bethlehem, couldn't have imagined the, uh, the one that was lying there, the creator of the world, lying in a manger, staring into the eyes of the creator, the savior, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who spoke this world into existence. Uh, our next song asks that question, what, what child, I think it's, what child is this? And we're going to stand and keep standing and singing together. We're going to ask the boys and girls, please, if you come forward and help me with this next song, Deep and Wide. Thank you very much. Anybody who will give me any help, please come forward. Uh, we're, I know we're down uh, Joshua and Abigail today. They're away something else. Uh, but we need all the help we can get. And, and this is your opportunity to give you a wee bit of uh, exercise. Folks, you know the drill, don't you? Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing. This is a good old one. Hands up those of you who know this one. Of course, you've got the old age pension as well. All right, deep and wide, deep and wide. Do you know the action to this, youngsters? You do. If you watch me, then I, and I'll do the action, you do what I do, all right? And make sure there's noise coming out of here. You can, we can, you can whistle the tune if you like or sing it. And then they'll watch you, and then you're going to be showing them what to do. Is that all right? Good job. Is that a deal? Okay, give me a thumbs up if it's a deal. 
All right, that's it. Deep in my thank you very much. Again, we're going to sing that song again. <laughs> See that one, uh, uh, that, what child is this? It's set in a, in a minor chord. And I always think that minor chords are mournful chords. Uh, don't you think that? <laughs> All right. This is a happier note here, isn't it? Deep and wide, deep and wide. So you know the actions now, don't you? And uh, I, I wish we had praises for the best expressions and the best participation because I would have already two picked for phrases already. It's that smile, pet. It's that smile that really softened my heart. Look at that smile. Goodness sake. All right, deep and wide, deep and wide. Ready? Thank you very much. You may go to Sunday school. And all of those who are taking you, please, thanks so much. Great to have the children. Remember that our, our, our Christmas program is on Christmas Eve, the 24th of December, uh, where we only have uh, Christmas, on a, a Christmas Eve on a Sunday, six, between six and seven years. So therefore, it's good to be here on Christmas Eve. And we have our family service in the morning, and then we have our carol service in the evening. If you heard me announcing the fact that we're having a choir practice, that's what the choir is all about. And we had a first practice on Thursday, first real practice on Thursday, and it went, I tell you, there's some great singers. There's some dodgy singers. <laughs> and if you want to see who the dodgy singers are, come tonight and I'll point them out to you. All right. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, so that's our program, and uh, you, you put that in your diary, please, if you can, and make it a, a, a great event in, as, as we think of our Christmas season. I'm going to read to you a few verses before we go any further. 
The reading is found in Galatians chapter 4. And it says it like this, Paul Paul wrote to Galatians to try to get people to recognize that they were slipping into legalism. They were falling into the forms and fashions and traditions of the old Judaistic religion and, and faith. But Christ came to put an end to the law, not, not to abolish it, but he was the fulfillment of the law. And the people were trying now to earn salvation by performance. And they're, they're, they were trying to perform. So God will love me if I'm a goody two-shoes today. But God will not love me if I'm bad tomorrow. And that's what they were learning. And Paul was saying, no, that's not how God works. God loved you when you were a sinner. God loved you when you were in your sin. God loved you no matter the degree or the depth of the sin that you were in. God still loved you. God still loved the world. That included me and you. But, but there's come along people who have distorted and perverted the truth. And they're now saying, no, actually, you need to practice circumcision. And you need to observe every facet of the law. And then God will love you. Well, that was actually destroying the, the whole message of the gospel. So Paul wrote Galatians, reminding them again, reminding them again that salvation is by grace through faith. God's initiative, God's intervention in men. And so reading from Galatians chapter 4, which ties in with the whole season of Christmas. In fact, chapter 4 and verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers. That's what he's talking about there is the law was only a guardian, a manager, to keep us focused on how sinful we are, how wrong we are, how lost we were. But he is, uh, on, uh, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And that's why we cry, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. When your children were born, you can't make them not your children. Isn't that right? They're your children. When we, became, when we were saved, we became heirs of God's salvation through the adoption of the Spirit into the family of God. I can't think of any greater transaction that you and I could ever, ever experience than to be born into the family of God. The question is, are you in the family of God? And as we come to this table, we, we remind ourselves of the cost, the expense, and the, and the lengths to which God went so that you and I could become a child of God. There's one little phrase there. I'm not going to preach it, but it, it, it sort of occurred to me this morning in the fullness of time, or just in time, or at the right time, in my time. In my experience, just whenever things were right, God sent forth his son. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on that, but they'd even note because the roads were right, the proper government was right, the sin was full-blown, 
That's, that's everything about Galatians, the, at the fullness of time. Why the Rhodes Roman Empire with their, with their uh, political structures? Because there was structure to the world. They had built tremendous roads so that the gospel could go out into the world unhindered through these roads at the fullness of time. Uh, somebody sent me a wee message yesterday. I mentioned here on Thursday, one of my favorite preachers is Adrian Rogers. You may be not have heard him, but there's a little excerpt. And, and he said, he said, you, you know that situation where the cock crowed? He said, he said, that showed Peter that God was in absolute control. Because he said, if you ever lived on a farm, you cannot make a cock crow if he doesn't want to crow. And you can't stop them from crowing if they want to crow. I, I, lived, I worked in, in Cork for a wee while. I don't know why I'm going into this, but I'm going to go into it anyway. I, I worked in Cork for a wee while, and uh, for four years, and we used to, we had missions away out in, 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 in Bantry, and away out towards Kerry, and right around the whole place. And if you went out in those uh, places, you stayed with people. So I stayed up with a man called Willie Evans, and you probably hear this at some stage, but I've already told him anyway. And, and I told him he should be in jail. Because there's a woman who used to live in Arran Island and she had nothing but a, a, a flock of roosters. And she was put in jail because she couldn't keep her roosters from crowing. And I said that he should have been in jail because every morning at three o'clock those I never got a wink sleep uh, the whole time I was there. So uh, uh, Adrian Rogers says, you can't make a cock crow if it doesn't want to. And you can't make it crow at a time when you want it to. And he says, by the cock crowing, God was showing to Peter he was in absolute control of every circumstance. He wasn't taken. He gave himself. He offered himself. He could have turned those spikes into thunderbolts. I'll be saying that tonight, by the way. He could have. They thought it was the spikes that was holding him to the cross. It was his love for you and me. The fullness of time. God sent forth his son. Just in time. If you have never come to Christ, what a better time now than to come now. Uh, so let's, let's sing together. We're going to stand and sing, I cast my mind to Calvary.
may be seated. Let's pray for a wee moment of prayer. I'm, I'm sure there are many people carrying burdens today, and uh, I'm not going to ask you to name them. And to but we can we can still lift you up before the Lord. And as we pray for a wee moment of silence, maybe we'll just lift up our burdens. But I would ask a prayer for the family at the moment, and that we've had a nephew got dead suddenly on Friday morning. 42 years of age, got dead in his bedroom. And uh, he, 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 uh, his father is very devastated, as we as a family are. So we very, very much value prayer. And so I'll be out of commission from tonight until Wednesday when we're down with the family and for that funeral service, which happens on Tuesday. But I'm sure other people are carrying uh, burdens as well. So let's just bow together in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. And you lift your heart up before God for whatever is on your heart concerning your family, concerning your life, and, and, and your needs. Father in heaven, as we bow before you, Lord, we thank you that you're the God who knows the end from the beginning. You, Lord, you know every issue, every detail of our lives. Lord, there's nothing hidden from our God. You're the omniscient God. You know everything. Lord, you've, uh, in fact, Lord, not only do you know everything, but your word says that you've been exactly through, you've been through everything that we've been through. And, oh God, we, your word says in, in double negatives, which means it's very positive, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. In other words, we have a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities and was in all points tentative as we are. But he failed not, he didn't sin. Lord, so you know exactly how everybody in this gathering is feeling today. You know all about the challenges we're facing, all about the confusion, perhaps, and the needs and Lord, you know, the, the anxiety, perhaps, the concern for loved ones, the concern for, for the future, the concern for their present here and now. And Father, you, you know those who perhaps feel a bit lonely and isolated and alone. You know everything. And Lord, that's why you, you, your son came, that he might meet the needs of every life, identify with each one, and draw alongside by his Holy Spirit to help. So, Father, we pray for every person in this gathering. We ask God that you meet their every need. Grant, O oh God, that you might indeed lift them and shine light in their, in their situation today, we pray. And, Lord, right around our land, we pray, O oh God, for many who are sitting in darkness, sitting in isolation, sitting in loneliness, sitting in sadness. And yet, Lord, they haven't recognized that the one who is the light of life, the one who is the light of the world, the one who is the liberator of their soul, the one who is life, Lord, has come. We'll, 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 we'll stand around a Christmas tree and we'll sing Christmas carols, but not realize the one who has come, the full measure, the full extent of why he came. Father, we pray, will you take away the scales from people's eyes? Lord, help them to see they don't have to be sitting in misery and in darkness. Help them to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a, a savior from all sin. There is, there's one who is the expression of love and joy that's sent from heaven. The one who is the very, very epitome of love. The one who is the very epitome of joy. The one who is in his presence, there was fullness of joy. And Lord, from what we've read from your word, every person who came into his presence was impacted. So Father, we pray, God in heaven, that uh, somehow this Christmas, this season, this day, this moment, Lord, men and women will, will, will be impacted by the presence of God. We, we desperately need you, Lord, to, to permeate through the facade, through the, through the, 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 the outward exterior, uh, the, the, how we present ourselves, how we look, how we see, how, how we seem. Father, we pray that he will, uh, he will come personally to each one of us today. 
God grant that we might indeed know that tugging of the heartstrings of God, we pray. Bless, Lord, uh, every situation. We thank you, God, that you can make a difference. Lord, governments have existed for, for millennia, and what difference have they made? Things have got worse. Lord, may men and women realize that it's God they need. It's God they need, not a food aid, not a, not a aid package, not a new politician, not a new prime, uh, prime, uh, prime minister. Lord, what men need today is God, and we pray, O oh God, that you make yourself real in every situation. As we lift our offering and our tithes now, Father, we pray that you'll take up everything that we give and use it for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to get you to remain seated for the first part. This is an old one. It's an old one. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and far away. But don't forget to tell it here as well. All right? Uh, we'll remain seated. We'll sing this song. It's an old carol from yesteryear. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses of this great chapter. And I want you to notice in John's Gospel, as he, as he introduces the Lord Jesus, there's no angels, there's no shepherds, there's no star, there's no herd, there's none of the stable, there's none of the manger. We're not even uh, introduced to Mary and Joseph. We're introduced to none of that when it comes to John's introduction 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one reason and one purpose alone uh, that he, he's uh, focusing on, and that is he is going to descri describe and declare the deity, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not interested in the trappings and the surroundings which we become so interested in. Because we become so engrossed in. If that Christmas tree's not up before the end of this week, I don't know what I'll do. I'll leave them. And, you know, that's what we say. If, if we don't get those decorations up, we haven't got the, those lights are not working, what are we going to do? Uh, and I'm sure that has been your experience. And if it's not and you haven't got them up, it will be. Don't mark my words. Well, it has been in their house a time or two. Will you untangle those lights? Well, why didn't you wind them up last year when you yeah, That kind of thing. Well... We, we, we are taken up with the trappings and the trimmings of, of Christmas. John wasn't. He was more interested in the person that came. And that's what he writes about. Everything, everything that he writes, it's about Christ. It's about the fact that he's God. And it's about why he came to this sin-stricken world. Let's read these verses together. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness unto the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. But who all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we seen his glory. The glory as of the only begotten, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. And we trust that the Lord will uh, bless that reading of his word to all of our hearts. If I was to ask you, what's the most exciting experience that you've ever had in life? What's the most expensive experience you've had in life? Or what's the most eventful experience of your life? Or the most exhilarating experience of your life? Or the most exasperating day? There's one day sticks in my, out in my mind as to what was a very exasperating day. We decided we would go to Newry, of all places, just to see what Christmas was like and do a wee bit of Christmas shopping. And we decided we'd go there for about 11 o'clock. Now, we would usually go to Belfast or, well, no time, Ballymena High, and, and, and somewhere. And now and again, we'd go to Dublin, but we decided we'd go this day we'd go to Newry. We spent five hours in a traffic jam. And when we got out of the traffic jam, turned the car and went home, I would thought, say that was a pretty exasperating day for me. What a waste of time. Or oh, what is the most extraordinary day in your life? Now, I know that some of you budding entrepreneurs, you would tell me, well, that's the day I got married. Oh, are you telling me that it was the most expensive, exasperating, or eventful day? Or some would say that the day that they gained their, their, their degree, or some might say they achieved their ambition, or they, they reached their weight target. Who of us isn't trying to do that? 
or perhaps purchasing your dream home. We've all got what we would call exhilarating, exasperating, or exciting days that we can point back to and say, that was a day that sticks out in my mind. In fact, I know where I was the day that the Twin Towers were, were, were blown down. I'm sure you do too. That was a pretty eventful time. But if I was to ask you, what about your experience of God? If I were to ask you, what is the one thing that you would remember as you look back over your Christian experience, what would be the one thing, the one thing that you would declare? Ah, that's the one thing I remember. Well, here's John, and he says the one thing that he remembers, that we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me tell you a little bit about the history of the children of Israel and the glory of God. Up to this point, they had a checkered history with the glory of God. In the Old Testament, seeing the glory of God was limited. As in the case of Moses, it was restricted. Only the odd person could behold the glory of God. And so some saw it, very, very few indeed. But others didn't see it. Now we do know that Moses saw it and his face shone with the, because of the reality that he'd met with God. For some it wasn't only restricted, but others it was dangerous. We read in, in Exodus chapter 33, if anybody sees me, they'll die. So it was a dangerous thing. In fact, there were some who saw him and there's, we're undone, we, we, we'll now die, as they say. And so it was dangerous. And for others, it was located. You could only go to a certain place, and God met them there. Mount Sinai, the burning bush, and the fire by night, and the clouds by, uh, clouds by day. That was representing and symbolizing the, the glory of God. Moses described seeing the glory of God like this in Exodus 24 and the, and the verse 16. And the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like consuming fire on the top of a mountain. Whenever Solomon's temple was dedicated, here's the consequences to Chronicles chapter 5, verse 14. The priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. You know, whenever I was thinking of that verse, and as I was thinking over the verses that I'm going to share with you by way of introduction, I was thinking there's a sermon could be preached in every one of these phrases. I began to think, oh God, would it not be wonderful that if the glory of God filled this house, oh, I tell you, my dear friends, not one of us would be the same again. And it's not something, the glory of God is not something that is, can pass us by. It's not something that we cannot recognize or see. The glory of God is something that you know that when you're in the presence of God, that your heart almost stops beating. Time stops. I've been there. I've been there, and I long for it. Been in places. I, re I remember a number of occasions when, when me and friends would seek the Lord, and that's something we need to do as a church, seek the Lord in prayer and fasting. But I can remember in a younger day when I was more able, perhaps, and that we were seeking God, and time stood still. Now, I'm not saying literally, but whenever we come out of it, we'd been together for four, five, six, and seven hours. We didn't even know time had existed. 
The glory of the Lord filled the temple. As Solomon dedicated that temple, which is still so precious to the Jews, and you'll find them at the Wailing Wall, longing. You can, I've been there. I've looked in the glass, uh, through the glass at the foundations of the old temple. I'm stood on the glass, and there they'll be outside of the Wailing Wall. God, please bring back your glory. Please bring back your glory. Please bring back your glory. We know the glory has come. When Moses, when Isaiah saw it in Isaiah 6, he says, he says, he saw scenes that he couldn't describe. He saw angels with wings and he saw, he saw fires and he saw thrones and he said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm found out. God has seen through me. And Ezekiel saw it in Ezekiel chapter 1. He talks about wheels within wheels and he talks about four faces, which we know are the four faces of Jesus, which is the four gospels, which means every one of those gospels describes a different aspect. The ox speaks of servant. The, the eagle speaks of, uh, uh, the, the, he speaks of his omniscience, his, his supremacy. The, 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 uh, and so it goes, the Matthew, the, 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 the king of the Jews, the four faces, Ezekiel, this is struggling to explain what this picture is that he's seeing. And, and, and we may get time, I don't think we will, but it'd be another wonderful study to see the glory of God in, with, amongst the people of, uh, in Ezekiel's day. And, and he said that every which way they went, they were, they were going the right direction. Speaking of the omniscience and the omnipresence of God, that everywhere he goes, no matter what way these wheels go, God is there. Seeing the glory of God was a checkered thing. If you've got a, if you've got a pen note, a, a notepad and a pen, I take these references down. We're not going to take time, Richard, to go through them because there's far too many. In Ezekiel chapter 10, sorry, chapter 1, he's describing what it is to be in the presence of God. Read Ezekiel 1. And in Ezekiel chapter, chapter 10 and 18, we see the glory of God's on the threshold. Well, then we see in chapter 11 and verse 1, we see him over the gate. And in chapter 11 and verse 23, we see him and he's over the mountain. And then the next thing we see, the glory of God has departed. That's an interesting study. An interesting study. That scene that Ezekiel explains in chapters 10 and 11 is very similar to the one that Eli, whenever he heard that the ark of God, which resembled the presence of God, which resembled the glory of God, had been stolen by the Philistines. Philippines. The Philistines, he fell backwards and broke his neck and was dead. Such, such was the heartache and heartbreak that the glory of God was gone. The glory of God... Oh, it was something to be feared, something mysterious, something consuming, something overpowering, something awesome. And, and, and by the way, we, 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 break by, we take back that word awesome from the world as they use it uh, uh, willy-nilly. as the, Oh, awesome, awesome car, awesome, awesome weather, awesome holiday. Listen, my dear friend, there's nothing awesome but our God. But here's what Haggai said. As you talk about a coming day, Haggai said too in chapter 2 and verse 9, the latter, of, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. It'll be greater. 
Can you imagine something greater than what Isaiah saw? Can you imagine something greater than what Ezekiel saw? Can you see something greater than Solomon saw as he dedicated the temple? Something greater? Greater? What could be possibly greater than the presence of God coming locally into a tabernacle and people being prostrate before God on their faces? Isaiah said, using the word the wilderness as a metaphor for the people of God. Get that. In chapter 35 and 2. Will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shouts with joy. Or shouts of joy. For they will see the glory of God. And the majesty of our God. There's not much shouting for joy in this house today. Why is that? Are we not seeing, experiencing, are we not uh, 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 understanding the glory of God? And the, Paul, the apostle Paul borrowed language from creation, from the creation, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. He says, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one that shone in the hearts to give, our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. So he's looking back and he's saying, it's come. The glory has come. From the Greeks couldn't see that the glory of God could be personable. The, the Jews couldn't see that the glory of God could be located, locational. But here's Paul and he's saying, but he's come. He's come. From being dangerous restricted, limited to an exhilaration and inspiring and humbling, transforming and amazing and personal experience. We have seen his glory. Now, I, I wanted to sing a song that I heard none of you know. I was journeying in the noontide. You know it? I was journeying in the noontide when his light shone o'er my road. And I saw him in that glory, saw him, Jesus, Son of God. All around in noonday splendor, earthly scenes stay fair and bright. But mine eyes have seen the glory of the glorious Son of God. And so it goes. We beheld him. The glorious of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Three questions just like last Sunday. Here's the first one. What did they see? What did they see? Have you noticed the absence of physical descriptions of Jesus in the Bible? We know one thing about him, and only one thing. Although there's a difference of opinion as to whether he had or not, but we know one thing. Some people say he had long hair. Well, if he was a slave and known as a slave, then all slaves had short hair. But we know one thing of all the descriptions of Jesus, that he had a beard, because they plucked the beard from his face. 
but we have no other physical description of Jesus. And anyway, John's not taken up with any physical descriptions. We saw his glory. His glory. John is saying, we have seen the one who said, I and the Father are one. John 14, 8 and 9, as he replied to Philip. John is saying, we have seen the one who is God. By the way, some people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. I beg to differ because in Matthew chapter 4, when the devil said, you should not bow down to God, he didn't correct him in saying that, you are, that he wasn't God. Brothers and sisters, what does glory mean? The highest honor and the highest recommendation for want of other words which I haven't got the ability to recall. It's the highest honor, accolade, that anyone can hold honor and glory and majesty. We saw his honor. We saw his glory. We saw his majesty. And our souls are satisfied. The Gospels are written after the event. When John talks about seeing his glory, he's talking about the life of the Lord Jesus and the testimony he left behind. Take a look at the wording here. Full of grace and truth. He was full of unfailing, unending, unequal love and undeniable and unrefutable and uncompromising truth. What is the grace that he speaks of? Forgiveness. Every one of those disciples, mind you, he's not speaking on behalf of the disciples here. He's speaking on behalf of the church. Every one of them had tasted of the mercy of God in Christ. Every one of them knew of the forgiveness that was offered to them. Every one of them witnessed how loving, how kind, how generous, how gracious, how merciful, how patient he was. Every one of them. When it came to his truth, how just and honest, how righteous and sincere, how accurate and legitimate, how correct and genuine and true, John is saying, the one who expressed to be God, he truly displayed that he was God in his interactions with us. What did they see? I love how John sums it up in 1 John 1, 1 to 5. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Jesus was the word. He is the last word of God to mankind. He is the final word to us. And the next time he talks to us, it'll be when he returns again. which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was the Father, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. 
so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father. John is saying very, very simply, we have seen Jesus, we have seen God in a new light. We have seen him deeper. We have seen a more a deeper aspect of God than we could ever have thought. If you take time, you look through the miracles when he turned the water into wine, he turns disappointment to light. When he talked, when he dealt with Nicodemus, he turns confusion to assurance. When he dealt with a woman at Samaria, he was was daily showing how he can change isolation into inclusion. When he was speaking to them, when he healed the the official's son, turns devastation to celebration. In the feeding of the 5,000, he's able to satisfy the hungry heart. The woman caught in adultery, accusation to acquittal. The blind man, night to day. The raising of Lazarus, death to life. And the washing of the disciples' feet, a public display of humility that very few of us know. That's what they saw. Second question Who saw his glory? Who saw it? Does that not sound like a silly question? All 5,000 that he fed, all 4,000. By the way, you, you know that I said that the 5,000 were mostly made up of Jews and the 4,000 were mostly made up of Gentiles. And so when he, when he all, 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 all of those people, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, that greatest body of teaching as to the, 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 not the rules of the kingdom, but how kingdom life ought to be lived. Judas saw him. but didn't see his glory. Pilate saw him, but didn't see his glory. In fact, here we take take Pilate a little bit further and we say that Pilate said of Jesus, I find no fault in this man. He found no fault in the man, but he didn't see his glory. There's a lot of people today and they see no fault in Jesus. He was a good man, but they haven't seen his glory. Herod saw him. He tried to use him as a bargaining tool to make peace with Pilate. But he didn't see his glory. The Pharisees saw him and they heard him. But they used him as a tool to appease the people. The rich young ruler saw him. And didn't weigh up the value that he had. In him. How many of these were present at the mock trial pleading for his release? How many stood at the foot of the cross weeping? How many, having heard that he would rise again, actually believed him? May I suggest to you, my dear friend, the secret is in the wording we beheld his glory. Who's the we? Those whose lives were changed and no other. Those whose lives had been impacted by the grace and the mercy and the love of God, those whose lives were altered in direction and destiny, those whose attitudes were arrested, those whose lives... My dear friend, somebody sent me a wee message from, from, where was it? Uganda this morning concerning my nephew. And he said he's in heaven. And I said, sorry, but he wasn't a Christian that I know. 
of. That's the heartbreaking part, isn't it? He went to church and he went to Sunday school. He's brought up. He knows me and he knows about me. He knows the change in my life. And he's been many times spoken to. And I was, I was at his mother's funeral and he knew how she came to Christ. And he knew all about these things. My dear friend, you can know all about Christ. You can know all about the church. You can know the hymn book. You can know it upside down and inside out. But if your life is not changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ, then you're not his. Not his. Not his. Here's what it says in Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Or wisdom is justified by her deeds. I like the other version. See, the angels in, in, in Ephesians 2 inquire as to the wisdom of God. And God says, he points, to, he points to those who've been redeemed. And he said, well, so-and-so is converted. That's the wisdom of God. It was worth it for him. My dear friend, don't be deluded and be deceived by the devil who is a great counterfeiter who will give you a counterfeit religious experience because as I said last Sunday, I don't think we're as spiritual as we think we are. We take it and leave it and we are not excited about God anymore. And I'm sorry if, I find, if you find me a wee bit angry. I'm not angry. I'm enthusiastic for people to see the glory of God. Stop playing with religion and start pleading with God. The evidence is the results we who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Revelation. That's what happened to me the morning I was converted, the evening that I was converted. I had a revelation. Listen, I didn't see some, some imaginary figure. I didn't see lights glowing on the wall. But I want to tell you that the mind of my heart was exploded into life and I saw light. I saw the, the light of the gospel and Christ was real. If I went to everyone here today, I'm not going to do it. And I'm sorry if you feel... I'm getting at you. I really am not. But we need to recover some lost ground here. Have you seen him? Have you experienced him? Meditate upon him every day. Jim Reeves sang that song. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me that I am his own. Oh, my dear friend, look at me when I say this. I fail miserably sometimes in my quiet time. I really do. I found myself questioning myself the other day. Is this just mechanical? Am I just going through it? Am I really seeking him? Am I seeing his glory? Am I experiencing his voice into my soul? Who saw him? Time will beat us this morning, but I would really want to get the next couple of parts over. If you don't mind, I'll race on. There's another factor to this, and I think there's two dimensions to it. 
Either we don't know how much we've been forgiven and what we've been forgiven for, from, or we haven't appreciated what we've been forgiven for. Because here's what God's word says. In Luke 7 and 47, I tell you, her sins, they are many, have been forgiven, and she who has been loved, she who loved much has been forgiven much. Can I say to you, uh, uh, Jerry, if that heating's on, would you turn it off? Because I think I'm in a sauna here. I don't know how you feel. See the lights went bright up there. That, that night, I, I, I was a teenager. And I, I'm, I, I, did, I wasn't brought up in an in evangelistic, in evangelical home. Uh, the minister that used to preach in our church was not a saved man. Everybody that's got a collar around his throat isn't a Christian. You have to remember that. Never was confronted with the gospel in church until I was about 16 years of age. And a wee old man called Bob Graham of the Irish Evangelistic Band came in one day and he preached the gospel. And here I was up on the balcony, putting my life on the balances. And I said, well, I'm battling you, boy, across the, across the pew there. And from that moment on, I began to have this awful fear of dying, going to hell. And remember, I had not been at a brethren meeting. I had not been at anywhere where I was confronted with going to hell. I just, this was just coming to me. And I now know it was the Spirit of God. But the night that I was converted... Here's the, the distance that I had traveled in my soul. God, I know I'm lost, and I deserve to go to hell. And you see, when you get there, it's not hard to reach out in faith. Sure it's not. And that night, I didn't anticipate what I was going to experience. And I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not propagating you having an experience. I don't care if you've been standing on your head and you see 10 blue moons in the sky. I'm not talking about experience. I'm talking about, I'm talking about meeting him. Him. Peter. That man who opened his mouth before he put his brain into gear. What about James and John? Do you know what they were nicknamed? And Jesus gives them a nickname, Sons of Thunder. There's a reason he gave them a nickname, because they were bad-tempered. And what about Paul, the murderer? Thomas, the double-minded. The blind man. All of these impacted by the presence of God. And the blind man... And the pearl of his life stood up against the Pharisees and said, I don't know who he is, but whoever he is has touched my life and now I can see. When, when, whenever they first encountered him, that wasn't the end of their experiences. They saw him every day, how he dealt with a woman caught in adultery. So they saw his compassion and forgiveness there. Whenever they were out in the boat and in the, in, in the middle of a storm, they saw how he spoke to the storm and he said, peace, be still. And they said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? 
Who is it we are following? Every one of these experiences, every day. In fact, here's what John said. At the very end of John's gospel, he says this. If everything that Jesus did was recorded, the world could not contain the books that should be written. So these men have, so what is John doing here? He's picking out not the bad from the good. He's taking out the great from the great to prove one point. He is God. He's God. It's not something we're looking back to 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. He's summing someone that we're looking back to today, and we've met him today. We beheld his glory. He is who he said he is. He does what he said he would do. He comes from where he said he came from. In fact, it does what it says on the tin. We beheld his glory. Here's the last thing. How his glory impacted them. Yes, he saved them. But James became known as the apostle of, sorry, John became known as the apostle of love since that rebuke that he received from Jesus where he says, you're one of the sons of thunder. You've got a bad temper, but you need to sort it out. James became camel knees, traditionally known as camel knees, because he spent the rest of his life praying. These are the fellows whose mother intervened and said, Lord, we want them to sit in your right hand and in your left hand. Whenever we meditate on the mercy, the love, and the grace, the compassion, the patience of God, Whenever we listen to the truth, the honesty, the, the, the genuineness of his word as it communicates to our hearts, our lives cannot stay the same. Cannot stay the same. They saw his love when he was moved with compassion. They saw his courage as he courageously faced down his enemies. They saw his exhaustlessness when he met with his seeming impossibilities. They saw his commitment when he challenged the establishment. And they saw his surrender when he hung on the cross. Full of grace and truth. Grace was seen in those whom he helped, whom he healed, and whom he lifted. Glory was, obvi was obviously seen in the teachings that he gave. And then we run over to, I'm done, that's good. I'm finished. But we run over to Philippians chapter 2. And he says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, count himself co-equal with him. The title of the message today is this. And it's John that's asking you and me the question. 
have you seen what we've seen? And if we haven't, I trust the Spirit of God will start you on a, on a, on a seek, on a journey. And if you have, I trust it'll take you deeper. Let's bow together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for times whenever you speak to us so powerfully that we feel, we, we sense, we feel the thunderings of God in our soul. And Father, we, we pray that we will not be haphazard, lackadaisical. We'll not be like as if we're, we're dealing with God as if we're in a supermarket. We come to one shelf and then we go to another shelf and we pick this and we pick that. We leave this and we leave that. Lord, we pray that we'll be those who are fully surrendered, fully committed, fully focused on the King of glory this Christmas. May it be, be said of us, Lord, at a testimony at our funeral service, he beheld his glory, full of grace. He was full of truth. Not what we know, not how often we've been involved in ministry. But we saw the glory of God expressed through his life, her life, their life. That's what we long for, Father. And we pray that even now you begin to do that work in our hearts. For Christ's sake. Amen. We, we changed our song because I didn't want to finish on a damp note. Uh, because we, we will sing that song sometime, I'm warning you, but we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. By the way, it's great to see Robin back. Robin, it's a tremendous, I do no harm to give you a round of applause, but I tell you, it's great to see you. And of course, we see Stephen and Sharon as well, and it's good to have you back as well. And we've been thinking about you all this time. We'll stand and sing together this great song. <coughs>